We would like to welcome you to Getting in the Word with Pastor Stuart Guthrie. Pastor Stuart is the teaching pastor of Family Bible Fellowship in Early Branch, South Carolina, and he will be teaching through a series on Titus. We hope that you will join us as we begin Getting in the Word. Here's Pastor Stuart. You know, the re- reality is reminders are good things. Uh, reminders are something the Apostle Paul loved to do in his teaching. And uh, he, he was faithful in reminding those he loved of things that were super important to him. And so really, Paul is doing the same thing for us today as we look at the first 11 verses in chapter 3. Now, while we use reminders on a daily basis, when it comes to the do's and don'ts of the Bible, we can tend to put them uh, to the side. Or we can tend to simply say, hey, I've heard that before, thus I really don't need to hear it again. But when things are important, we need to listen to them. When you have an important meeting to go to, you typically will put a reminder on your phone or an alarm to remind you that you have an event coming up. And so I want us to stop for a moment and consider in the next several moments the important reminder that Paul is going to give to us today as we consider the text. He wants Paul to encourage Titus to remind them or revisit some information which he has already specified in the text. And so without delay, let's jump into this larger section of Scripture. Turn with me, Titus chapter 3, verses 1 to 11. He says, Remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to slander no one, to be to not be contentious and to be gentle, showing every consideration for all people. For we too once were foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us. Not on the basis of deeds which we've done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom He richly poured out upon us through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that being justified by His grace, we should, we should, be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This statement is trustworthy and concerning these things. I want you to speak confidently so that those who have believed God will be careful to engage in good deeds. These things are good and beneficial for people. But avoid foolish controversies genealogies and strifes and disputes about the law, for they are useless and worthless. Reject a divisive person after the first and second warning, knowing that such a person has deviated from what is right and is sinning 
being self-condemned. Three reminders that I want us to find within these verses that Paul really wants us to be reminded of. First, we need to be reminded of how we are to live. Number one. Secondly, the reminder of, of how we once lived. And then thirdly, the reminder of how He changed us. So let's consider the first, the reminder of how we are to live. Now the book of Titus, up until this point, has been a pastoral epistle that has been packed with imperatives and to-dos, with expectations on really all of us, no matter where we are as children of God. And the reason I believe this is the case is that the fact is that as a, the anatomy of a healthy church is predominantly the overflow of a Christian's obedience. How you and I obey the Lord Jesus Christ will reflect what a healthy church is to look like. And when I say church, I'm not talking about this building there. God does not dwell in buildings built by man. We are the temple of God. He resides in us. And therefore, there is a high level of expectation by which God expects us to walk out the obedient Christian life. And He has given us everything pertaining to life and to godliness, giving us the ability to live out that expectation. And so as we begin with the expectations here in our layout, we are reminded that biblical leadership and how it relates to a healthy church we also move next, to, if you remember, to biblical membership in chapter 2 and their expectations. And in case you haven't noticed, when you point out biblical expectations from the Scriptures, this can sometimes weigh heavy on our hearts. Because many times we come face to face with the stark reality that we're not living the way God expects us to live. And so when He reminds us of these things, we ought to pay attention to what Paul is emphasizing to Titus, which he is emphasizing to us here this morning. We live in a day when there is a certain level of anticipation for people to ultimately advocate to do away with their responsibilities. And thus any call to live out our faith that one proclaims. It's easy to say, I'm a believer. It's another thing to live that lifestyle out. And thus, any call to live that out can be stressful. In many cases, considered overbearing. And I'm sure you've even heard it called legalistic. Legalism is not the expectation to live out obedience. That's a call of God on our lives. Legalisms, when we look at those as the means by which we are saved. That's not what he's talking about. What he is talking about is that as Christians indwelt with Almighty God, the Spirit of God lives in us and gives us the power and the ability to function in the ways and the expectations which the God of the universe who has saved us and created us a new heart gives us that ability to walk out for His glory. 
So, truth be known, I think because we have been called to many responsibilities in the body of Christ, the fact that there is this high level of expectations among Christians as they relate to the health of the church, this series can be perceived as a hard book to swallow. And although it may be a hard book to swallow, if we are going to be faithful partners, it's not about membership. Membership pre-assumes you get something for being, uh, you know, you've paid into the golf membership. No, we're partners. That means it cost us something of our times, our talents, and our treasures. Because if you are a partner and you do not do your part, you are considered a bad partner. And because we are partners in the gospel ministry for which God has called us to, this requires investment, involvement, and sacrifice. Then we certainly need the reminder of how we are to live so that we can hold one another accountable so that we can encourage one another for the sake of the gospel. Because how we live, listen, reflects our view of Almighty God. And what you think of God reflects the way you live your life. Paul encourages Titus to remind us how we are to live as Christians and followers of Christ. Because the truth is sometimes we simply need to be reminded of what we already have been told because I don't know about you but I'm forgetful and when my circumstances heat up and my pressures come in my life I sometimes need the reminder because I can sometimes have a pity party woe is me and I'll forget of how blessed I really am and how God has faithfully provided. And how God has faithfully protected. And how God has consistently blessed not only me, but you. And so, Paul reminds Titus. He says here in verse 1, Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, every good deed, to slander no one, to, to not be contentious, but to be gentle and showing every consideration for all people. There are really seven Christian characteristics that Paul emphasizes to Titus within our text. Now, combine the first and the second one subject to rulers and authorities as one, but there are still six others following that. And because this is by way of reminder, meaning he's already spoken of these things within the context as a whole of the book of Titus, he is just going to touch base on them as a way of reminder. But just as is it important was for them to be reminded, so it's important for us to be reminded that the expectation for the Christian is godly character in our lives. So he says, remind them first to be subject to rulers and authorities. Paul wants to remind us that we are to be subject to rulers and authorities. Now, when I say that in 2021, that does not settle well. But let us not woe us 
Because if you recall, things weren't very good then either. And so we are still expected by the Word of God. The heart of Christianity is submission to authority. Ultimately, that authority being the Lord Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior. We are to be subject to the rulers and authorities as long as they stay in the realms of biblical requirements. Why? Because they were given for our benefit. Government was set up by God to do away with evil doing. Listen, the reality is this. The greatest of our priorities in 2021 is, to not, is not to make American a Christian nation. That's God's job. Our job is to share the hope of Jesus Christ and through the gospel, which is the power to save, which transforms lives from the inside out, through one-on-one gospel opportunities, we, if we are faithful in going out and explaining and preaching the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that He is coming back, and when He comes back, it will be too late. Therefore, believe the gospel. Then that life can be changed in then their eyes can be opened, then their ears can hear, and then they can walk in obedience. But if we beat our heads against the wall, expecting those outside the family of God to act like a believer, then you will be greatly disappointed. Our hope is in Christ. And we need to prioritize that. Listen, the transformation of truly regenerated hearts in Jesus Christ will ultimately and prayerfully change the climate of this nation and our own lives. It begins here with me. If I'm your partner in the gospel, then how I act as a Christian will reflect on that message to the world. So I can't look at you and go, how are you doing? I have to look at me and go, Stuart, how are you doing? Because the same Spirit of God that lives in you that convicts you of sin, it's the same Spirit of God that looks in me and convicts me of sin. Do I like what's happening in our world today? Of course not. It's evil. It's perverted. But God is sovereign, isn't He? And in the midst of the chaos, we need to stand firm in the faith and not let the world distract us from our priority, which is gospel. Now, we do that through whatever means by which God has allotted us to serve. We share the gospel in every aspect of our life, and that's why we take all conversation to gospel conversation. Because when we realize these people are really dying, And going to hell for eternity, separated from Almighty God, then we will be proficient in our opportunities to share the hope of Jesus Christ. What we need to do is study what hell looks like and how hot really hell is and how eternal really hell is and the suffering that they will face in eternal torment and separation from God. But listen, hell is hell not because God isn't there. No, the the Old Testament said, then the smoke of their torment ascended into the presence of the Lamb. God is there. 
And they will be reminded of God every day for the rest of eternity. They came to His own and His own received them not. We need to preach the Gospel. And when people's lives are changed, they will change. We need to stand firm. Trusting in the absolute sovereign control of God. Scripture says it this way in Philippians 3.20. For our citizenship is in heaven. For which we ought to eagerly wait for a Savior. The Lord Jesus Christ. We are called to be submissive Christians. Whenever we can. For the glory of God. Christ was even submissive to the Father, wasn't He? To death on a cross. Therefore, 1 Peter 2, 13 and 15 says, Submit yourselves to the Lord's sake for every human institution, whether to a king as one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. We need not confuse the difference between good and evil. Because we live in a day when they call evil good and good evil. That was never God's design. And so when things are evil, we stand against that by the power of the Word of God. And we call them to repentance. We should hold our leaders accountable to the very Word of God. But how can we call them accountable to the Word of God if we're not even accountable to the Word of God? It doesn't make sense. And so if we want to be effective, then we must follow our own standards to be obedient to the things of God. Thus, Paul wants Titus to remind us how we are to live in a day that doesn't love God. Because we are living in an America that isn't a Christian nation. It is filled with sin. And the only solution to sin is gospel. Transformation. You can't kill it. You can't snuff it out. You can't beat it. You can't buy it. You can't work against it. Only the gospel of Jesus Christ can change a person's heart. And when a heart is wicked, there is no limitation to its wickedness. So it's no surprise that there is sex trafficking. There is no surprise that there is homosexuality, even in the pulpit in America today. There is no surprise that there is rampant divorce. There is no surprise that there is rampant sexual intercourse before marriage. There is no surprise that there is rated R movies that Christians who confess to be born again from above engage themselves into. It's no surprise that we as Christians claim to be Christ followers and yet we'll let stuff into our homes and into our ears that absolutely dishonor God. Why? Because we've bought a lie. That there needs not be transformation. Oh, God will forgive me. And through generations of generations of generations who have slowly degenerated, what God calls evil is now called good among the church. Let us not be that 
church. Let us not be the Christian people who have bought the lie that the enemy has worked diligently on, silently on in many ways, through the ages of many of you sitting in here even before you were born. It is a process. It was Chuck Swindoll in his book, The Church Awakening, which I would encourage all of you to read, told the story about his grandfather who put a stake out at the water's edge of his lake. And when he was a young boy, he asked Granddaddy, why are you putting that stake out there? And he says, well, let me tell you why, son. He said, because every year we lose property through erosion. And if there is not a stake, it happens so subtly that you would never even know. You see that stake way out there? That used to be our property. Listen, we have to put in the ground a stake and say that's righteous and that's holy and that's set apart and we're not going to let that erode. Here is your stake. If this word says it's wrong, I don't care who tells you it's right. It's wrong. Because we worship a God who is able to communicate His truth and what's best for humanity through His living and active word. And thus when God says something, He expects us to walk in that. And here we are reminded we are to be obedient where we can, to be subject to rulers. And then he says here next, uh, not only are we to be subject to rulers and authorities, but to be obedient. There is really no wonder why here Paul emphasizes the Titus by way of a reminder, because this can be a hard pill to swallow. Be obedient. Think about that for a second. I mean, how does that go over when I tell my children, be obedient? Sometimes not very good. They don't like it. Right? So I assume that as I say this morning to you, you need to be obedient. I need to be obedient. You need to first understand, I'm just telling you what the book says. I didn't write the book. And I'm under the same placement as you are under the authority of God's Word. And He says... We are to be obedient. God expects His children and followers of the Lord Jesus Christ to walk in obedience. The Bible has much to say about obedience in the life of the Christian. In fact, obedience has been and always been an essential part of the Christian's faith. Jesus Himself was the example in His obedience. When He said in Philippians 2, 3-8, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider what? Others better than yourself. Don't merely look at the, at, at, uh, out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. Having this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who has already existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something that you be grasped, but He emptied Himself by taking the form of a bondservant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in the appearance of men. He what? He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. If the God of the universe who became flesh was obedient to the point of death, how much more should we be expected to be obedient no matter the cost? For the Christian's obedience looked like taking up our cross daily and following Christ. Dying to self. 
The Bible says that we show our love for Jesus by obeying Him in all things. John 14, 15 says, If you love me, you keep my commandments. Why? Because it pre-assumed when you were born again from above and a child of God, He has given you everything you need pertaining to life and to godliness. Now, don't mix godliness and deeds with salvation. It's not that you're saved by those deeds, but if you are saved, you will do those deeds. And He will continue to grow you closer and closer as you get closer to Christ, as you get closer to glorification. So the God of the Bible says He will glorify you one day. But there must be sanctification. Otherwise, Jesus has the right to ask you, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not as I say. Jesus stated the greatest command of all. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart. In Matthew 22, verse 36 to 40. With all of your soul and with all of your mind, this is the great and foremost commandment. And the second is you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Obedience is the mark of a believer to obey the Lord and what He has called you to do. Here we see as a command to love one another. How are we loving one another? So how are we doing in obedience? How are we doing our love for one another and even maybe our enemies? So that in obedience to Christ should help us walk and fulfilling the good deeds which the Lord has prepared for us. And Paul wants Titus here to know and to us to know certainly that believers are to have good deeds. And so he says, remind them not only to be subject and to authorities and rulers in obedience, but also he says here be to be ready for every good deed. This is a this is this is a tough call, isn't it? This ought to cause a little tension in your life. Because this is an expectation of Almighty God on our life. Listen, this is who we are now in Christ. This is post-salvific. You can never do these things apart from being born again from above, given a new heart and new desires and new passions. Why? Because before you were saved, before you put your faith in Christ, you are dead in your trespasses and sins, and you cannot do anything outside of that but fulfill the heart, which is wickedness. But when He creates in you a clean heart, you are a new creation in Christ. The old things have passed away, and behold, the new have come. You remember in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10? Now we remember uh, typically 8 and 9. For it is by grace you've been saved. And this not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. It's not a result of works. So that no one may boast. And I've said it before. If you could work your way to heaven, you'd be walking around with a gold medallion around your neck. Because we live in a day when kids get participation trophies. For last place. So just imagine if you could be boastful enough to say you could work your way to the kingdom of God. Boy, we would be bragging to everybody. Look what I did. And that's why he says it's not a result of work so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works. Which God prepared beforehand so that what? We would walk in them. God loves you. 
God saved you. God indwelt you with the Spirit of God if you put your faith in Jesus Christ. And He expects you as His child to fulfill that which He has prepared before you, before the foundations of the world. So if you're just walking around in this world, hunky-dory, living life, you're not considered the works that God has prepared before you, I would encourage you to do so. Begin by loving others. It was, if you remember, in John 13, 34 to 35, He says, I'm giving you a new commandment that you love one another, just as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, people will know that you are my disciples by the way that you have love for one another. Listen, love is not an inner feeling. And it certainly isn't just mere words. Love can only be known by the actions it produces. Oh, you love me. Sounds good, but how are you showing? If I said, Jen, I love you. My beautiful wife, I love you. But I never showed her love. A matter of fact, I manipulated her and I abused her verbally and physically. I love you. No, that's not love. Love isn't words. Love is deeds. You don't have to tell somebody you love them if you're showing them that you love them. Paul even says later in verse 8, I want... You to speak confidently so that those who have believed in God will be careful to engage in good deeds. It's expected. Because you have a new life in Christ. You are born again. and Therefore, you are to love one another from a pure heart. You're a new creation in Christ. The old things have passed away. Behold, the new have come. You're transformed in the renewing of your mind. Romans 12 says, you ought to be. Galatians 6.10 says, so then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially those who are of the household of the faith. Yes, we're to do good to those outside of our Christian family, but especially those within the household of God. That means you that means every single person who's ever been born again from above is in the family of God. And we ought to take pride in doing great things for them. And so what are some practical actions for good deeds as Christians we ought to be living out? We should be known for our goodness. When people hear the word Christian, the first thought that ought to come in their mind is honor, integrity, kindness, good deeds, and love. We are called out to be light shining among the world so that they may say you're holy. No, this isn't about you. So that you may see your good deeds? No. Christians have always, throughout history, faithful Christians have led the way in showing love through ministry, through the building of orphanages, building of schools, ministry work, funding the building of hospitals, digging water wells in communities that don't have clean water, 
meeting the practical needs of people. This is the mark of true Christianity. Paul wants us to be reminded that we are to be ready for every good deed. So listen, if we just stop right here and pause for a moment, and I want you to consider one person in your life that you can go out of these doors and do a good deed for and glorify God in it. However the Lord puts that on your heart, we're to be marked by good deeds. And so we serve one another. We honor one another. We love one another. We encourage one another. Remind them of these things. Be ready, he says, for every good deed. But he also says in verse 2, to slander no one. If you recall the old saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Whoever wrote that is a fool. And he is a liar. And the truth is not in him. Because I don't know about you, but bad words hurt. And they hurt deep. And we have to be very careful because there is destruction with the tongue. When you are slandered, it hurts. But we have to, as strong Christians, learn to be okay with people not knowing your side of the story. You have nothing to prove to anyone. My encouragement, if you've been slandered, if you've been mistreated, is to walk in integrity and honor the Lord Jesus Christ. Because God knows every side of the story. And when you stand before God, that person won't be there beside you. You will be face to face with the Lord Jesus Christ. And he will say, well done, my good and faithful servant. What your pride wants you to do is to lash back out. Have integrity. Love the Lord with all of your heart and your soul and your mind. We've done tremendous damage to people's lives and we are warned as well in 1 Peter 2, 1, Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Why? Because you are born again from above. Now, the Greek word here for slander is blasphemo. You know where I'm going into the English is blasphemy. When you take your words and you blaspheme somebody else, that is not biblical. And we will give an account to Almighty God on Judgment Day. Here is Titus talking about speaking evil of someone. Now we certainly live in a day when this is not problematic for most people. They will speak poorly of people and evil of people in a skinny second. But for the children of God, this is not the case. Should not be the case. James 3, 5 says the tongue is a small part of the body and yet it boasts of great things. See how great a force is set aflame by such a small fire. We see it on our day when people bully one another. 
when there's defamation of people's characters, they mock their character, and in reality, they are doing the very thing God says do not do. And that is to slander. Slander is a malicious lying, a degrading of someone's character which is absolutely not true. In Proverbs 6, 16, it says God hates lying lips. Psalm 31, 39, 1 said, And I will watch my ways so that I will not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth with a muzzle as long as the wicked are present. Why? Because there is a desire in our hearts to slander the wicked. Vengeance is mine. The Lord says, I will repay. Romans chapter 12. Colossians 3, 7 and 8 says, Used to walk. Used to walk. You see the difference? You once did walk in these ways. In the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. I remember a day when you would watch commercials and there would never be a curse word. You can't even watch a Burger King commercial anymore without curse words. It's become so fluent now. Christians are okay with just... Filthy lips. Listen, that which fills the heart flows from the mouth. And can fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? No. We are believers. We are born again. We are children of God. We are ambassadors for Christ. And we are partners for the gospel, or we should be. And if we are partners for the gospel, then all these things, my friend, makes a difference. And when we live out things that we ought not live out, they hinder the gospel's impact. Because if you share your faith enough, you will hear this. Why would I ever want to be a Christian? They live six days a week like Hades, and they go to church one day a week, and they're completely different. And if you think I'm lying, listen to the Christians. Because people are leaving churches because the people in the churches who claim to be Christian Say, I don't like that church. Why? Because they are holy and righteous and set apart on Sunday. But Monday through Saturday, they live like the world. Now, we live in a day, again, when it is not problematic for people to slander, but we are called not to slander people. We become hostile sometimes to unbelievers. And listen, they are the very ones that God calls us to love. And to reach with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But when we slander, we give fuel to the fire. And when you're slandered, it may fuel their fire. But let us be reminded, flip over to Matthew chapter 5. I don't have a slide for this. I would encourage you to bring your Bible. That's pretty important for Sunday morning. Since we preach the Bible. Um, Matthew 5, I think it's uh, thir- uh, 11, yeah, the Beatitudes. Blessed are you, verse 11, when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. 
For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and be trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket. But on the lampstand, it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine among men, before men, in such a way they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. When we slander, we give fuel for the fire. But what what God's word says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimations and never repay evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all people and if possible, So far as it depends on you, be at peace with all people and never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink, for in so doing you will heap burning coals on their head. I don't know who needs to hear that today. Love them, your enemy. The reason we don't do these things is because we're born again. We have different attitudes. We're no longer slaves to sin, but now to righteousness. We have been regenerated. We have been justified. We have been in the process of being sanctified. And one day, my friends, we will be glorified. So we are called to not slander. And then he says, not to be contentious. The fifth thing that Paul commands Titus to remind us of is that we are not to be contentious, meaning that we are to be the very opposite, which is rather to be friendly and peaceful toward the lost rather than quarrelsome and confrontational. I think we could all agree that we live in a wicked world. There is a tendency for all of us to be quarrelsome with the enemy. Scripture has already made it clear that we are to be at peace with all men as much as it depends on us. Yes, you can forgive them And while you cannot make them receive your forgiveness or forgive you, you can within your own heart live out forgiveness towards them. The pain, the hurt that they have given to you, you as one who has been forgiven by the Father is expected to extend forgiveness to them. Because the reality is this, if God, has so limitlessly, unconditionally loved 
you. That He would send His very own begotten Son, Jesus Christ, into the world to die, to save us from our sins and to forgive us. How can we as sinners who have received His redeeming grace be heartless and loveless towards those that have not yet received that amazing grace that we once walked in? We are called not to be contentious. We are called to abstain from fighting. Peaceable is what we are called to be. So can I ask us all this morning, are we being peacemakers? Doesn't mean we don't call sin, sin. That's important. Doesn't mean we don't call evil, evil. That's important. Doesn't mean we don't call that which is false, false. That's not what I'm saying. But do we do those things in a way that's peaceable? They crucified Christ. And He didn't bring out the spiritual nunchucks, did He? He didn't call down legions of angels to show He had authority and all power that He had at His disposal. What did He do? He prayed for them. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. The wickedness in our world is because they are ignorant to the gospel. They don't know that they're doing what they're doing is unholy to God because they don't believe God, which is actually not true because Romans says that they are without excuse because that which has been made evident to them through the creation of the world and through His divine attributes has been clearly seen. But nevertheless, we are to certainly stand against error in a loving, peaceable manner. We are told in John 18.10 that when he was with Christ, Peter, Simon Peter at his arrest, he reaches down in his sheave and pulls out a sword and whacks off the ear of Malchus. Notice Jesus didn't say, good job. <laughs> Bad aim, but good job. He's aiming for the head. No, he says to Peter, put, put the sword into the sheath. The cup which the Father has given to me, am I not to drink? Listen, sometimes we can't understand what God's doing when things are really bad. But God knows what He's doing. And God has a purpose. And God has all authority and all power and all ability. I love what Jesus said in John 14 in that upper room discourse. He said, my peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give. We ought to be the most peaceful people in the world. Doesn't mean we can't stand against unrighteousness. Listen, I... I, I'm, I'm ready in a skinny second to say it's wrong. It's a sin. But we are called to be peaceable people. Why? Because we have joy. We have peace no matter our circumstances. Because we have an eternal hope in Jesus Christ. Our hope, our peace, our expectation should give us the ability to not be contentious.
Because when we realize that salvation is of God, that we're just simply seed spreaders, if we'll just be faithful in scattering the seed, watering the seed, God will do the growing. God doesn't want us to be confrontational. We are children of God. We've been given new life. We've been born of a king, heir of the throne, forgiven, set free, joyful, hopeful, and we should always be abounding in the joy and the peace of the Lord. So he not only says not to be slanderous, not to be contentious, but he says be gentle, showing every consideration for all people. The opposite of contentious is gentle and showing consideration for all people, both believer and unbeliever. Being gentle towards those who hate you as, is, is as equally gentle to those who love you and show compassion and grace. It is what we do. It's how we act because we're born again. Christ has saved us. He has redeemed us. And therefore, there is expectation in our partnership. That in the face of all that we will face in this world, we can be faithful and accurate in our gospel presentation and not hindering that by being unconsiderate. So, if we're going to be a healthy church, partnership in the gospel, then it matters how we live. Because He saved us. Now, salvation is not by works and not by deeds, and it's a process in which He grows in us. But nevertheless, that faith that's saved by Christ alone is never alone. It's always accompanied by good deeds. And we should grow in that. So we were reminded of how we were to live. That was point one. But no fear. It was a heavy-sided sermon. We don't have two more like that. And here's why. Because the second point is the reminder of how we once lived. I don't like being reminded of how I once was. I like being reminded of who I am in Christ. So I don't want to spend a lot of time here because I think it's very simple. Paul wants Titus to remind us of the change. But also in this quick summation of these verses, this caused a question. Are we changed? Are we changed? He says here in verse 3, For we too were once foolish. Amen. Disobedient. Amen. Deceived. Amen. By the lawless liar, thief, the devil. And he says we are enslaved to various lusts and pleasures. Amen. Spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. Th those are not the mark of a born-again believer. They're those who, who we used to be. But now, we are to live as He has called us to live prior to these. Listen, if this is how you act, then you need to question whether you've truly been born again. Because listen, head knowledge is different than true transformation. Again, it's one thing to say, I know the gospel, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's another thing to have been 
put your faith in the gospel, be repentant of your sins, which is a major part of that, and to be changed by the gospel. Because what good does it do if I say, oh, I love you, Jesus, and yet I live in these things, in foolish disobedience, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy and hateful and hating one another. Then we're just a clinging symbol. So if this is how we act after we're saved, it's certainly not the expectation for a believer. And so if this is the way you are living, then it ought to be stepping on your toes a little bit. And maybe you say, well, I've, I've seen a lot of change and, you know, I, I, I don't do some of those things, but there's still some I struggle with. That's okay. It's a process. But, but, but know that this is not how we should live. So if we find ourselves living in the past kind of lifestyles, we ought to repent and ask God to forgive us. This is not the lifestyle of a believer. This is not the character of the Christian. It's certainly not one who has partnership in the gospel. So the main point here, number two, is don't do these things. For your life should not be marked by these, but the previous, number one, characteristics. And if these are the marks of your life, then you ought to repent and believe the gospel. Because if you do not, you will inherit eternal life separated from Almighty God in a place called hell. And that's not God's desire for your life. For He wishes that none would perish, but that all would come to repentance. So we are to remember how we are to live. We are to remember how we once lived. Evil, stained, separated, enmity with God. Thirdly, I want you to be reminded of how He changed us. Now, I could have really preached a whole sermon right here. My favorite passages in all of the Bible. But I think it's so precise that it need not a tremendous amount of time. That three-letter word, but. This is how you are to live. This is how you once lived. But! When the kindness of God, our Savior and His love for mankind appeared. Not that you love God, but that God loved you and sent His Son into the world. He saved us. He, God Almighty, saved us. Not you and your deeds and your efforts, your greatest deeds are filthy rags. He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we've done in righteousness, but according to His great mercy. And it was by the washing of regeneration from death to life and the power of Satan to God, He has given us being born again from above. You, you say, well, Pastor, I, I got all these things. That's why He says you must be born again. You must be regenerated. You must be moved from death to life and the power of Satan to God. And it's by the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. I don't know about you, but I love that God has made me a new creation in Christ. I don't like the way I live. I don't like the attitudes I used to have. I don't like my lifestyle from then. And when I get back into the old self and I start living in the flesh, the God of the Bible 
confronts me because He has renewed me by the Holy Spirit and He has come to take up residence. And so He can fix us of sin and we must confess and believe. 1 John 1, nine. Verse 6, whom He, I don't hear anything about me, it's all about He, richly poured out upon us through His Son Jesus Christ, our Savior. It was the kindness of God and His love. No works, no deeds that can satisfy the just penalty of sin, which is death. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, my Lord. Someone asked my children, what's your favorite color and what's your favorite Bible verse? And uh, they said, Romans 3.23. I'm like, oh, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Hmm, that's a good one, guys. Right? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. He has given us life, but we first must come to grips with our lostness. And it was Him who has established that through His grace and mercy. And then He says in verse 7, so that being justified, declared right, that's a legal term, when you are guilty, you're guilty before the judge. He ain't going to let you off if He's a good judge, a righteous judge, not like a, a modern day judge, but God is a righteous judge and He can only declare you guilty when you've broken the law. And because we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, He will declare us guilty unless we have an advocate, which is Jesus Christ, by which we put our faith, He can then justify us and possess Additionally, sanctify us and declare us righteous before Almighty God. And so here he says, so that being justified by His grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. He has adopted us as His children. We are adopted into the family of God and made heirs of the King. And then he says concerning these things, I want to speak to you confidently so that those who had believed God would be careful to engage in good deeds. These things are good and beneficial for people. We certainly need to be good and beneficial toward people. There is no greater message this morning than the gospel message. There is no greater message than salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And the fact that He has declared you right, He has justified you, He has made you His child. And because of that, you have the hope of eternal life. So you want a battle, bring it on. You kill me, that's okay. You're going to send me right on to be with the Lord Jesus Christ in eternity. Praise the Lord. Bad for y'all, but I'm going to be with Jesus. And we don't think that's a reality. But let me tell you, it is. It is reality. Look what's happening in Canada. It's coming. And the Bible says it's coming. There will be hard times ahead. But we stand firm in the faith because we've been born again from above. And when the persecution comes, the question is, will you stand firm in the faith? Because it's easy to talk the talk, but it's another to walk the walk. I pray. I pray 
that we will remain faithful in this day and age. That when they say, don't you meet as a church, I tell them to take it down the road. We're going to meet. We're going to meet. We're going to celebrate the Lord's day. And we're going to honor the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to preach the truth of God's word. And when they say, don't preach the truth of God's word, we're going to stand against them and say, no, (laughs) we're going to preach the word of God. And if they lock me up, then I'll have a prison ministry. I'll expect y'all to help and take care of my family, but I'll have a prison ministry. We need to be willing to stand in the face of persecution. And he emphasizes because you were born again, because you've been saved, because you too emphasize good deeds, he gives us a warning. He gives me a warning. He gives all of us a warning in verse 9. But there's another three-letter word that seems to get in the way. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, and strifes and disputes about the law, for they are useless and worthless. Why? Because they're not eternal. Reject the divisive person after the first and second warning, knowing that such a person has deviated from what is right and is sinning because uh, being self-condemned. So we don't need to waste our time. We are partners. That means the death, the burial, and the resurrection. We need to stand firm in the faith and we need to share the hope of Jesus Christ now. Now. Not tomorrow, today. Who is it that we can share our love with and tell them the hope of Christ? Because they are dying every day, every moment, every minute, and they are going into hell. Don't be distracted. Don't let the enemy distract us from what is most important, and that's the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ for the salvation for all who would believe. And you do that in whatever arena God calls you to. And as I look across here, I see so many different avenues by which you can share the gospel of Jesus Christ. I look at a farmer. I look at a builder. I look at moms. I look at mechanics, I look at lawyers, I look at politicians, I look at computer networking people. You all have opportunity for gospel ministry. I'm not saying don't take your job serious. What I'm saying is keep gospel primary in your environment that God has called you to. Because we've all been called to go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all of commanded. He says what? Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And so if we are going to be a healthy church, then we must partner together in the gospel. And we must not allow this life, this world, to prevent us from walking in obedience so that our partnership in the gospel will be absolutely extraordinary. God will use your words and your deeds to allow opportunity to preach the hope of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to our program today. We pray that you were blessed and trust that you will join us again as Pastor Stuart Guthrie preaches through his new series on the book of Titus. 
If you do not have a church home, Pastor Stuart Guthrie would like to personally invite you to join in person at Family Bible Fellowship in Early Branch, South Carolina, or you can visit them on their website at familybiblefellowship.org. May God bless you this week as you walk with Him.